Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hiya, Pete. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help, Matt. <laughs> it sometimes feels that way, Pete. Just want to point out that today's uh, podcast about Thor the Dark World is brought to you by the good peoples of Shreddy's Cereal. And indeed, Pete, if uh, you would like to help the podcast while uh, eating your shreddies or perhaps uh, having a digestive cracker, you can head over to shieldpodcast.blogspot.com. There's a PayPal link if you want to help us with those uh, storage and bandwidth costs. Very good. Well, in today's debriefing of Thor the Dark World, let's dive right in, Matt. Uh, second uh, character of the Avengers to get a sequel of his own in Thor. Um, Iron Man had had two subsequent sequels himself. And I think we really got to flesh out the more fantastical universe of Asgard and adding other realms to that. What's your overall impression? All the realms. Uh, yeah, I thought that it was, uh, it, first of all, it was a marvelous movie. No, well, it's, <laughs> Whoa, it's, no it's pun intended. It's a Marvel movie, man. Indeed. Really, that's like redundant. But anyway. Um, but I thought it was also Marvelous. Uh, the fact that the fact that they have gone so far from kind of the the small and limited world if you will of the first iron man movie where it's like so similar to what we kind of know except this guy you know instead of going into like microsoft you know software type stuff he goes into like military hardware and you know we just kind of slightly step out of our own world a bit here we are literally outside our, our world and it was just the whole kind of you know where magic and science meet in, in in full force and just an absolutely fantastic movie i had no huge problems with the original uh but this this i think was superior to the original it solved some of the little problems that the first one had and um just just a fantastic outing i would agree what i'm interested to hear what problems you think the original had well I don't like that I just use the word problems, but here's how I would have liked to improve the first one. Not that I would necessarily know how. Uh, I would say more with uh, Frigga, played by Rene Rousseau, um, more with uh, with uh, Darcy, um, more at uh, more in Asgard. Um, I say that would be three areas that I'd like to. I would have liked to have seen more of. I know that you know at a certain point you need to have Thor on Earth, and you know you need to be working Shield in, and so on and so forth. This movie, though, we do spend more time in Asgard. We do have more Darcy, uh, and we do have just a a, a beautiful story arc there with uh, Rene Rousseau's character of Mom, aka Frigga, and um, just you know all all three elements that I think were a bit underused in the first movie. For plot purposes, don't get me wrong, I understand what that first movie needed to accomplish, but this movie had had those three in spades along with uh, lots of other goodies. I'll jump right into the lone problem I had with the movie, and it really kind of took me out of it for a good two, three minutes. So we catch up with Thor for the first time, and he's uh, you know restoring order to the other realms after the events of uh, the Avengers and the chaos that had uh, broken out across the nine realms. And, uh, you know, he, he clobbers a uh, gigantic rock man with uh, Mew Mew. <laughs> and um, so the Warriors 3 show up and I am instantly going, that's not the same guy and that's not the same guy. 
And that's a, that's a hang-up I have. It's called continuity. And I get schedules and all that. And I also get that these are more minor characters. Um, and I say that in all due respect to their following uh, throughout fran- fandom. Um, you know, we need Lady Sif, and, and thank goodness we got the uh, the lovely Jamie Alexander back as Sif, and we'll talk more about her in a moment. Um, you know, and we have Volstag, who along with Sif winds up in the secret scene, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. Um, but instantly I'm going, okay, uh, Hogan or Hoden or whatever the, the guy's name is. Hogan. Hogan, okay, the... Uh, the Asian uh, uh, Warrior Three and Fandral, the the one everyone knows as the guy with the sword and the and the goatee, immediately look different to me. Now I've since researched that the uh, actor playing Hogan is the same, but I don't know whether he had some work done. I know he had the beard and everything. Did not look the same at all. And then uh, it definitely was a different guy playing uh, Fandral because I guess. Um, the actor who plays him is on uh, Once Upon a Time. But that really, you know, that caught me. Um, just because they were more involved in the original. And, um, you know, it's it's just a thing, man. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that I was surprised that they kept, um, of the three, they kept returning to Zachary Levi's Fandral the most. I would have personally liked to have seen uh more of ray stevenson's volstag in that in that role i mean obviously i'm you know obviously for the girl stuff i'm glad they let sif do it you know just because uh she's the girl but um i understand hey good job joshua dallas you have an ongoing role in once upon a time acting is about work gotta keep working no no problem there you need to re uh recast but yeah it just was constantly like that's that one guy who's different um and I know that obviously they've done this before in uh, in you know with um, with uh, Rody yeah Iron you know, with there you go with Rody, but I, I agree. I was just sitting there the entire time going, I really like Ray Stevenson. Can't you make him be like the the most important of the three? Uh, and alas. I think it's a backhanded compliment. I, I want to turn you know my my gripe into a backhanded compliment that you know how many movies are we deep now? Three Iron Men, two Thors. An Avengers, uh, that's six. A Hulk, seven, and I feel like I'm leaving one out. Um, I feel like you are too. Isn't supposed, I think it was eight total, right? Captain America. Captain America. Okay. There you go. So we're eight films deep, and and that they have been this consistent within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I I think, you know, really they they have nowhere to go but down. You know, we've we've talked before on this podcast that eventually it's going to come to a point where either, you know, one of these Avengers gets recast or, you know, something is bound to break. Uh, Matt, I know you've referred on the Twitterverse as the synergy throughout the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. But, you know, I I just want to couch my my criticism and and say that, you know, it, 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 it really speaks again to how well they've done to this point. Yeah, and I think you raise a good point because at the end of the day, uh, you know, was the movie any different having needed to recast the one for the other? No, not at all. But the fact that the fact that the quality is so high and the continuity is so high, it lets us dedicate five minutes to saying Joshua Dallas versus Zachary Levi. What do you think? So, yeah, at the end of the day, as you said, it might be a backhanded compliment, but it's a, a compliment nonetheless. 
You mentioned the lady stuff before, Matt. Let's talk about the lady stuff. We talked about the Warriors three. I'm going to talk about the girls three. Okay. In uh, Natalie Portman, Jamie Alexander, and Kat Dennings. Uh, For my money, uh, maybe the most attractive female cast of any Marvel movie and maybe of any movie going right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I would be hard pressed to disagree. I mean, you throw in uh, in a slightly different age set. You know, Renee Rousseau is looking absolutely fantastic. I, of course, have a special place in my heart for her uh, from uh, Thomas Crown Affair and her somewhat uh, gauzy dress in that. But absolutely, I mean, and you know what? Three great, strong female characters. Three characters where um, I, I think it would be very easy to have any of them be, obviously, least of all with Sif, but you could. Uh, you could have any of them be kind of too girly or too damselly in distress, uh, particularly times when, I don't know, uh, our lead damsels in distress, but they're always incredibly, uh, you know, incredibly uh, true to themselves. You know, they're not all warrior ladies, but does anything fluster Darcy? I don't think so. She appears completely unflappable. Um, You know, Jane Foster is completely ready to, uh, stand up for herself to analyze the situation, pros and cons, as as the intellectual character that she is, and just I mean, you know, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic roster of uh, of ladies here. Definitely, and you know, we talk all the time about the casting that uh, Marvel and Disney have made, both here and moving forward. I mean, Glenn friggin' Close is in Guardians of the Galaxy, okay. Natalie Portman has been in two Thor movies, which again, not to denigrate our subject matter, but this woman won best actress two years ago. Okay. Yeah. She's made more Thor movies than she has (laughs) quote unquote serious movies. And granted that's the nature of the contract she probably signed. Right. Okay. But, um, you know, yeah. I mean, they just continue to push the right buttons I did get a feeling I was a little worried that Sif was going to wind up being <laughs> the Loki to the um, to the Dark Elves, like she was one of them. Well, that's an interesting theory. I hadn't <laughs> uh, hadn't considered that while I was watching. They threw uh, a couple reaction shots a couple times that made it seem like, all right, she she wants Jane Foster out of the way so she can have Thor, and maybe that's going to be the play there. Um, and you know what? I'd rather have a uh, I'd rather have less Sif time and uh, a slightly less complex Sif character than use her as I'm the jealous would-be girlfriend slash future queen. I like to have servants comb my hair and I, that would happen if I was queen. Therefore, I'm going to throw the other girl to the wolves. Like I'd rather just dispense with all of that and oh. Sif is a big girl and she knows sometimes you get the guy, sometimes you don't. You know, you dry your tears, you eat your bowl of uh, Asgardian ice cream, and you move on. More fish in the sea. That's what grown-up kids do. This is true. Um, really dug the uh, the Captain America cameo. I thought oh, that yeah. was uh, very well worked in. They brought Alan Silvestri in just to do the march for Captain America when he shows up there in that you know, long Did shot they really? Loki that, turning into different people. What's that? I mean, I know it was the Alan Silvestri music. Did they actually bring him in for that? Or was that just it was, like, there was a credit uh, towards the end. Cause you know, we, we sit and watch everything here oh, yeah. and, and, and dissect the, uh, the Marvel films. Um, By the <laughs> way, the audience I saw it with 
probably i would i would say probably 90 percent of the audience stayed through the first secret scene which will hit in level seven and probably 60 percent stayed through to the very very end which and i turned there, man. Yeah, i turned word. to my brother and i was like finally there are people who get it definitely Pete, i do have a question for you you know we heard uh we heard a week or two ago on the podcast from our uh, our intern ian um who uh uh mentioned um that there was one moment let's see i hope i'm not i'm not misreading this here um certainly he referenced the whole the how the whole audience laughed out loud i think that was captain america and he said one in particular that was totally unexpected um was that on the cameo end or i guess or is he maybe referring to the end which we'll get to in due course but what are your thoughts on that the the unexpected twist that our intern ian refers to I wasn't completely clear, and and some of the words that uh, Ian had written to us definitely resonated. Um, but uh, yeah, re- reading it back to me again here, I, I'm I'm not quite clear what he may have been referring to. And granted, he needed to uh, kind of um, parse that a little bit so we weren't yeah. being uh, too spoiler everyone <laughs> with spoiler Pete. Well, here, here's a couple again, of highlights. I, I saw this. Uh, I saw this as the final cut was locked down and, and being prepared to uh, ship all over the world. I mean, you were even making comments from from the workshop print before all the effects were done. Yes. Um, here are a few highlights from Ian's email. Um, quite a few moments that made the whole audience laugh out loud, and one in particular that was totally unexpected by me, at least. Uh, he references the uh, couple of the cameos, one uh, one that sort of defines a Marvel movie and one that was totally unexpected. Um, he mentions uh, some of the Star Wars sound effects, which I, I in particular would like to talk about. Um, and then he concludes, of course, by saying, that's all for now and don't call me an intern. Which didn't make sense until I was in the theater and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, now I get it. Yes. So, Pete, what? How about this? Let's we'll kind of work backwards here. Um, were those kind of Star Wars uh, sound effects, or did somebody at at Disney conglomerate say, um, "You need spaceship effects"? Go see Bob at Skywalker Sound. He works for us now. Have him do those sound effects. We're not paying any extra for it because he's already salaried. Go. Well, they were credited. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I mean spaceship sounds uh you know if i was hearing lightsaber sounds with the little glowing swords i i think we're we're having a beef but you know all right um it kind of sounds like a tie fighter i heard the same things about you know the klingon ships in star trek into darkness okay things traveling fast make a whiny noise <laughs> uh as as far as i understand physics um and engines and maybe some stylistic uh, aerodynamics. Um, it, it didn't really uh, bother me. I was a little surprised when uh, Algrim, who of course is played by Adewale Akinjid, Triple A, Mr. Echo. Indeed, I, I was a little confused when he was in full kind of evil guy mode and he was standing there going, <laughs> I thought maybe that was a bit much, but you know, I'm sure it was in the course of the character, all you know, mutated and whatnot, but. Um, so Pete, I, I mean, as to these, um, as to Ian's email here concerning the, the two cameos, I, I don't, maybe we need to hear back from, from our favorite intern, Ian, um, the one that sort of defines a Marvel movie. I think certainly that was Captain America. The other one I'm off the top of my head. I'm not 
I'm not thinking what that could be. Well, again, you know, if, if uh, our intern, oh, sorry, Ian, uh, if <laughs> Ian would like to clarify, he knows how to get in touch with us. Although maybe it's the secret scene one that we'll get to. That might be to what he is referring. It's possible. Um. So what else is going on here in the debrief, Pete? What did you What did you like? I think there was hardly anything to dislike. Yeah, I mean, overall, it advances the legacy of the previous film. I think, as we both agree, it is a better film than the first film, and and that's saying a lot because I think yeah. the the first is one of the better efforts of uh, Phase One of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I give it a respectable three out of four. Um, I don't think we've found the ceiling yet with Marvel movies. And, and that, I think, is a great thing. I mean, uh, I would say Avengers is the best of all the films put forth uh, thus far, only because it's got so much going into it. Um, you know, we've, we've both circled, uh, guardians of the galaxy next year. Um, I'm on the record as saying that's going to be the uh, highest grossing film of 2014. Um, and you know, just, just keep them coming. Um, you know, when we talk a little bit later in the podcast about the forward momentum here, you know, I think that's when things are really going to start to get more unpredictable in terms of what they're going to offer us. But at least we have a little bit of a hint. Absolutely. Uh, two other quick things from me to uh, two Brits here. Great to see more of Idris Elba, Elba as Heimdall. Uh, I think that he was a tad underused in the first movie. Again, yeah. maybe just just the nature of it. The fact that they gave him um, gave him a little bit more to do to the point that I know in the first movie and I don't I don't know the, the Thor comic mythology. We'll make that very clear to all our listeners. Neither you nor I are, are Thor fans uh in the comic books but i wasn't entirely clear after the first movie you know is he as is he as guardian the way everybody else is Is does he have a little extra magic in his boots does he always stand there 24 7 while other people have beds in this we kind of see you know oh it's it's bifrost shutting down time i'm gonna go to the the tavern where thor is i'm gonna take my helmet off um were they going out of their way to include more Idris Elba? I mean, if they were, then it was totally effective. It didn't seem shoehorned in. Um, fantastic to see him. And then uh, great casting there for, uh, as uh, Christopher Eccleston as uh, Malekith. Now, now, Pete, a lot of our listeners would recognize Christopher Eccleston. You probably wouldn't. You see, Pete, he was in a, a television program in the United Kingdom called Doctor Who. <sighs> Um, about about eight years ago, and he played the Doctor, or as you might call him, the Doctor Who. And um, while not tippity top on the list, certainly was credited in bringing that kind of being the Doctor that helped bring the show back and whatnot. So it was certainly great seeing Christopher Eccleston there. Although Pete, I was a little bit aware that his Northern accent uh, came through a little bit in this, but I just said to myself, "Well, he just must be from the northern part of his world." Yeah, you know what? I recognized him as uh, the guy with the silver skin from the uh, G.I. Joe movie and uh, just moved on after that. <laughs> Speaking of moving on, Pete, what's next? Well, let's talk dossier here. We're going to delve into uh, our number of bad guys between the dark elves uh, who serve Malekith in their quest of the Aether 
and uh, a rather what I found low-key Loki in uh, Thor The Dark World. Ooh. Well, certainly he's low-key while he's still in, in prison, although I think that uh, it's a nice bit of acting slash set decoration slash, uh, you know, makeup and that sort of thing when Thor first goes to see him in prison um, and uh, Loki's uh, illusion is pulled aside and he just clearly, without them going out of their way, without them showing it on screen, clearly he's let out his frustration, his his grief at the loss of his uh I'll call her his mother. I'll let him him refer to it as his adopted mother or whatever it might be. But how he's clearly had this rage. He's knocked the room apart. Just this wonderful little touch. He's barefoot. There's blood on the bottom of his foot where clearly he's cut it as he's kicked things around and whatnot. So I didn't particularly mind kind of the, the lower energy uh, start of the movie for Loki just because here he is. He's paying the piper for what he did in the previous two uh, movies in which he's appeared. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the um the scene in the cell in a bit but um i pick up you know with the beginning and you know so we've had a movie between this one and the avengers in iron man 3 which based on what's happening here is is happening concurrently um you know loki gets brought back to asgard to uh, answer for his crimes and i just dig that we're on such a canvas at this point that that things can be happening simultaneously in different places and we're going to flesh them out over several different chapters um you know we get the captain america preview on this print and uh you know we we know of things ramping up on our world but to see that loki is uh you know, he's paying the price. Last time we saw him, he even had a mouthpiece on, um, you know, assuming they were worried about him trying to use magic or, you know, use his mouth, which often is his biggest weapon, um, to sow discord amongst his captors. And given the way that this film ends, who's to say that he didn't at some point throughout it? So... You know, with Loki a little bit later on in the cell, Matt, maybe you missed it real quick, you know, when uh, he found out about Frigga from the guard, you know, and they just showed a quick shot of it. He did start to rip the, the room apart. And then Really? They, I must yeah, have somehow yeah, missed that. Yeah, he moved, he moved the furniture, uh, you know, with whatever uh, telekinesis. And then the next time to see him completely disheveled with the really bad wig that the Loki <laughs> fangirls must have been like, uh, oh, wait, no. <laughs> I, uh, you know, the dried blood, which, uh, you know, I don't know if the tones were off or anything. Kind of looked like poo uh, <laughs> smeared a little bit <laughs> on, the, Pete, on the side. Hold on. Do you know what ice giant blood looks like? Um, Matt, you're talking to spoiler Pete here. Uh, well, I'm just saying, uh, look, you're spoiler Pete in this I realm. Got it. I got a little jar of it right here. Okay, <laughs> I know what ice giant blood looks like. It wasn't ice giant blood. Okay. Anyway. By the way, two two quick things that you've uh, you've lit up in my brain. First of all, I wish that when we first see Loki, he had that mouthpiece and it was removed, just because it was so kind of uh, maybe iconic is a bit much, but 
it certainly was so kind of like eye-catching at the end of Avengers. I would have liked to just have seen that through line. Here he still is in chains, even if they were just taking it off just to say, hey, the last time you saw him, this is like five minutes later. Um, well, you got to let him talk here. You, there's no sense having him. And, you know, he's not the protagonist in the film, but, you know, he, he's he's not the uh, the antagonist either. And um, but he's got to talk and it sets up the events at the end of the film. And, you know, I, I really wondered when we thought he was dead, whether that was it and whatever tricks he had in being able to do that. And, you know, finally showing us to, you know, his, his different ways in and out of Asgard that were hinted at very strongly in the original. Um, you know, they, they want to get as much mileage out of him as they can. He's enormously popular. He might be the second most popular character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now after um, Tony Stark, Iron Man. I think that's I think that's a completely fair thing to say, um, particularly in I mean, just that just the fan buzz, let alone the fan girl buzz that I know Marvel would love to have, uh, you know, guys and girls alike going. I mean, there's 50 50 distribution on the planet. I think they'd love to see more more girls coming to these movies. By the way, Pete, just out of curiosity, you said that you had a Captain America trailer in front of your movie i yes. did not oh okay. did you by any chance see, did you did you by any chance see it in 3d no okay i was just want then i don't know maybe it's just unique to my theater i know i was in the room i was in the the theater the entire time for the previews but anyhow just a little uh little anecdote there let's talk about the uh the dark elves and malekith in their quest here for the aether for me they were really reminiscent of the prometheus aliens along with the shy guys from super mario brothers 2 what say you matt <laughs> well, i don't know how much i could say after uh after that humorous take on it uh i thought that look were they the strongest most uh um involves bad guys that we've had in a marvel movie where we we understand their perspective and where they're coming from not really but you know what at the end of the day this isn't a movie that needs to be terribly grounded in in our world like for example it's not literally grounded very much in our world so the fact that they have bad guys who are just like on this quest five thousand years ago they had the quest to do the thing when all the stuff got in line and now they're back in time to do the thing again and to destroy everything like okay that's good enough for me i don't need some sort of you know oh but it is revenge for what you have done for me or i think i'm being a bad guy for my a good guy for my people and it's just like no they're just kind of evil as in tales of myth and legend of which this world takes place in the world of myth and legend so i was i was uh completely fine with that and i thought that certainly visually they were tremendously interesting to look at. Uh, Eccleston's makeup, which changed, uh, I think, three times. It kind of had phase one, then phase two was with the burn, and phase three where it was like burn plus kind of an obsidian tone to him. Um, so just, you know, good good old-fashioned baddies the entire movie. Oh, I didn't say I didn't like them. I just, you know, what, what it reminded me of, man. <laughs> um you know so you know what i like too you mentioned you know we have the exposition at the beginning and you know odin tells us a story much like in the uh initial thor film and then the the shrek-esque moving storybook 
later on exposition with uh, Jane Foster, I found uh, pretty cool to to get that in there. Um, I had but, wondered if uh, you know how the realms when they come together they kind of overlap. I had wondered if maybe uh, you know a thousand years ago or something the uh, the realm of Asgardian picture books kind of merged with uh, kind of Harry Potter newspapers to be one and the same. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we have this dark elf on a shelf in uh, Malekith who, you know, sacrificed his own people and has had one ship waiting out there for the Aether to wake up. And wouldn't you know, and I think from a story perspective, the the one thing that, all right, they talked about the convergence, but that of all people, Jane Foster essentially just happens to bump into the Aether um, where ever it was stored, um, you know, I, I think was a little over convenient. Um, convenient. Yes. I mean, certainly I think is the movie aware that it's convenient. Well, they're aware enough for Thor to say, you know, fate has brought us together again. All right. If you're going to show the hand of the writer and then have the show go, Boy, it's like something is writing all this down, making it happen. If you're going to do that, to me, that's no harm. No, if you're going to do that once in the movie, that's no harm, no foul, as long as you acknowledge it, with the, which they did. And the other thing with the with the cursed, I, I would have liked maybe just a little bit more, uh, not exposition, but all right. So they have these guys that they weaponize into super soldiers. I, I think it was a little convoluted in what was going on there um didn't realize that it was uh mr echo um until the credits and i knew he was going to be in it uh going in um but the the bowl meets darth vader meets suicide bomber meets you know super soldier again i i just found it had too much going on Oh, so maybe they're like suicide bomber fundamentalists. That's what you're. That's that's our hook into the real world. I mean, like they're Al Qaeda. They've been waiting all this time, and they're ready to. No. I mean, that may have been what they were going for. I I just think they were trying to do too much with, you know, a secondary character. See, I was he a secondary character? Yes. I I mean, I just kind of felt like he was the. He was the muscle that was going to carry you through a couple of battle scenes until you could finally have the showdown between Malekith and Thor that, of course, was going to conclude the movie. Um, I just kind of thought that he was the, um, I don't know, the embodiment of like, oh, that's, you know, it's not, you know, all the baddies running through, you know, the swarm of 100. It's like swarm of 100. Oh, plus him. He's the embodiment of you know, the first phase of the people who've landed and attacked. You know, he so, plays he plays that secondary henchman, you know, lieutenant role. Um but I don't know. I, I just think there was this attempt at a side story going on there. You know, he's told you'll you'll be the the last of the curse. You're gonna make the sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. And um I don't know. I, I think it maybe strove for more than it achieved. I don't have a problem with that, but it just 
again, it was something that caught me up a couple times. Like, all right, so he's doing this. You know, I, I, I would have been better if it was just him on the sacrificial and, you know, the, the sleeper getting into their cell and blowing it up. But then he's still running around after that. And he's in the scene in the uh, the dark world with Loki and Jane and, and Thor. And I don't know. Fair enough. Well, that Pete, I think we've uh, we've hit everything there on the dossier. What's next? Well, in our level seven segment here, we're going to talk theories, um, both in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then what this means for us with a weekly Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. First question I have for you, Matt, is what happened to Hannibal? Yeah, where is the Odin father? I think that... You mean the all-father? Oh, well, that too. They call him the Odin, the Odin father at certain points, they maybe do. in the first movie. I know they say Odin father at some point. Yeah. Um, I think that here's what I think the movie wants us to propose at this point, although it's not necessarily uh, the gospel truth. When we see, you know, happy as guardian warrior, a warrior back on Dark World, um, kind of getting ready to beam back out. I think we're supposed to be like, wait, what? That what's what is that exactly? Um. I think we are meant to assume that Loki obviously fakes his death because hello, he's alive at the end, but that he found warrior guy, quick killed him, took his took his um, his visage, and then popped back to uh, to Asgard, and then, I mean, I think uh, what has happened to Odin, uh, I perish the thought to think that they would have killed him off camera in a way where you're not going to see. Anthony Hopkins playing Odin in the next movie. Um, could you have Anthony Hopkins still back to collect his lovely paycheck playing the Loki image of Odin? Sure, but I feel like there's something slightly inauthentic that me as an audience member wouldn't like that. I'd still rather cut to real Odin in the secret, you know, the secret uh, prison chamber and he gets rescued in the end to blah, 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 or something like that. But clearly Loki is back. I think it's, we can only assume he came back. Um, you know, uh, uh, under the the guise of that uh, that nice warrior man, and I don't know. That's my theory, Pete. You you have read the the unwritten script for Thor three, uh, currently entitled uh, Loki's Bugaloo. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Well, um, there will be no surprise that Loki will be the big bad in the third Thor movie. Um, I don't know what. Anthony Hopkins contract looks like um, we've seen this before, you know, one character masquerading as another. Uh, I just want to know where he is. Has he been killed? I think it would be way too um, flippant of them to kill an actor uh, of the magnitude of Sir Anthony Hopkins off screen. So whether it's through a flashback or, some other device to let us know what's happened to him. It'll be coming. I mean, maybe that comes in a secret scene, Matt, between now and then. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So um, moving on here, speaking of secret scenes uh, or what we would more rightly call the mid credit scene here um, at the end of the film, we are introduced to Benicio del Toro's The Collector, um, and he meets with uh, Lady Sif and Volstad, 
and uh, he takes into his possession uh, one of what we've learned are now the Infinity Stones. And Matt, we've talked about the Infinity Stones or the Infinity Gems, as they are more commonly known, on the podcast before. We certainly have, and I believe it was in the course of our Thor podcast, or at least one of the the podcasts during the summer, where uh, it was brought to our attention, well, brought to my attention, you of course knew about it from from uh, back in 2011, that there is a quick scene in the, in the vault uh, in Asgard in the first Thor movie of the Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity Gems, some sort of thing like that. Now, Pete, I think we should pause here. Let's be sensitive to those who might not be in the know. Can yes. you give a quick little bit of background? Well, a gauntlet, Matt, is a device that was used in the Middle Ages. It is more akin to a glove uh, that would extend up the forearm for protection. Well, Pete, uh, Pete, specifically in the context of the Infinity Gauntlet, it's well, this infinity, special Matt, glove. Infinity means uh, without end. Uh, is often represented by the sideways eight, which would also be known as Google. So, Pete, the Infinity Gauntlet is this glove that has six stones or gems on it that that lets you do a whole bunch of stuff. That's the extent to which I know, with one exception. All I know, in addition to that, is the lengthy, the seven-minute scene from Parks and Recreation where Patton Von Oswald, Patton Oswald, I was calling Patton Von, Patton yeah. Oswald uh, uh, improvs this mixing of the marvel cinematic universe with disney with x-men and he a number of times let's not forget that he was explaining the plot of the new star wars movies that's what yes 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 so if you want to know in all seriousness if you want to know more about the infinity gauntlet go look up on youtube Patton oswald parks and recreation watch his whole masterful seven and a half minute improvised thing and he explains what the different gems do and how they work and how they can bend reality and so on and so forth yes and uh the uh so the aether is revealed to be one of the six gems they explain in that brief scene that uh we can't have the tesseract and this be together on asgard it would be too dangerous to have two of the gems together so clearly these things are spread around and again MacGuffins of the coming films uh, and the collector takes them into his possession in his little museum there with all sorts of other worldly trinkets and uh, a, a sinister other worldly trinkets. What's that? Other worldly trinkets. That's what I said. I thought you just said worldly trinkets. Other worldly trinkets. Ah, yes. Okay, I take that back. Yeah, I withdraw it's a play on my words, man. Yes, well done, Pete. Yeah. So anyway, he takes it into possession, and then he reveals to his assistant there. Um, and this was a scene that was put together very late in the production of Guardians of the Galaxy, as the Collector is a major force in that movie. Um, that you know, one down, five to go. So these will be the items that uh, Thanos. Um, who is teased at the end of the Avengers will be tracking down as we move through phase two and into phase three. Yeah. I know that there's uh, probably was Kevin Feige who said this, that the, the payoff for Thanos is not expected to be anytime soon. A la guardians of the galaxy, that, that, you know, that's, that's a, a much longer picture than that. So if this is something where, I mean, obviously, as you said, yes, the collector is going to be in guardians of the galaxy. But if we basically 
if the Infinity Stones, the Infinity Gauntlet, all of this, if, if none of this is of direct importance to Guardians of the Galaxy, I will almost appreciate that more because then we'll have Thanos and Avengers, then this here, and then maybe a little little you know reference here oh now i you know reference to oh now i have two or just something like that in guardians of the galaxy to work up to wherever it is that we're headed in the marvel cinematic universe well the moment they made avengers age of ultron who is a much more recent like within the past five years recent villain in the marvel comic universe um you know we knew that Thanos wouldn't be the big bad of that movie. Thanos is in Guardians of the Galaxy. That is not a spoiler by any stretch of the imagination. I have to believe that the full-blown payoff for the Infinity Gauntlet will come in the third Avengers film. The third or the second? The third. Wow. Yeah, I think think they're, I mean, consider it. Let's, you know, one of of the gems offhand of the Infinity Gauntlet is the time gem, okay? Again, essayed so uh, impromptu and perfectly by Patton Oswalt. Um, (laughs) You know, the, the next Marvel movie on deck... Captain America. He's now the man out of time. You know, he he was the capsicle for 70 plus years and and now he's back in our time or should I say <laughs> forward in our time. I think that'll become a means of him uh maybe getting a little something something back through time with uh with Peggy. You never know. Ooh, that certainly is a nice little nice little theory there. Um It'll maybe they'll go back in time to before Marvel sold the, uh, sold away the rights to uh, X Men, Spider Man, Fantastic Four. Although, in all seriousness, and I'll, I know I'm oftentimes the one to bring up that that deal and to kind of say, "Oh, one day, one day." It's not like it didn't work out well for Marvel at the time, you know, to sell those rights to have a hand in production of movies. I mean, nobody, you know, there was no market for comic book movies. Um, before the first X-Men movie. I mean, there was some market, but Marvel's done just fine using the characters that they have. And, um, you know, we there, it was in the news this week, Pete. I know this isn't exactly level seven, but maybe we'll spend 20 seconds uh, talking about how Marvel and Netflix are going to be teaming up to do four uh, at least limited run series um, on some of the, the lesser known Marvel characters, the, the best known of which is Daredevil. So, you know, Marvel's doing okay. Uh, doing in terms more of, than okay. Yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. I'm almost worried now, given Matt, that we've jumped in on the, on the tent pole. You know, it's, it's now part of a, uh, a TV franchise, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm almost worried that they're going to be doing too much. Are we potentially looking at the Star Trekification at its zenith in terms of, you know, having two shows in production right. at all times. Um, could we quickly be heading there with uh, Marvel is a, more than a slight concern I have upon hearing that news this week. I mean, we we reported a couple weeks back that they were kicking around an Agent Carter show. Um, who knows yes. what the status of that is? Well, okay. based on what I've read this week, there still are plans, whether it's Agent Carter or not, there still are plans for a second broadcast, the second ABC Marvel-related show. Now, if your concern is, and I think Star Trek is a wonderful example, doing too much, 
striking while the iron's hot to the point that you you know you get all the blood out of the stone here's my thought for that disney seems to be the smartest of these these conglomerates in, in the entertainment world because they're not fighting the future and they're not giving up on the past they're not cbs that really holds on to their stuff away from online and streaming uh they're not uh like you know they're, they're also not like a netflix where it's all online right disney i think is happy to say we are a major force in the broadcast arena agents of shield despite a slight cooling of the ratings agents of shield is uh let me back up a slight cooling in the total number of viewers it still is doing fine in its time slot it's doing fine for the day uh in compared to other shows in, on wednesdays uh pardon me tuesdays and it's doing fine for its rating it's 18 to 49 rating um all of these things they're happy in the broadcast arena guess what no major network no cable network is going to do a luke cage show or jennifer jones show uh perhaps maybe a daredevil show but if you're going to make it r-rated what's it going to be fx hbo showtime that's about it they're using all their parts let's push something into the streaming arena and make some money off that use use our properties off that stuff that can be broad enough let's put it on broadcast as long as they have enough people thinking through these shows um i think they'll be just fine i really do i don't think it's gonna be a case of you know part of the star trek thing too was you have one team working on next generation and movies and voyager and another team working on deep space nine and let's keep them separate this this is is more like this is go go ahead beat this is definitely true i just you know the amount of material i mean listen it's robust right now and just looking over the numbers you know thor through today as we're talking has earned 327 million worldwide in that's incredible essentially days of release well, it's been out a little longer internationally. It's maybe been out 10 days internationally. Still. So it hasn't yeah. a change. Absolutely. Okay? And, you know, I, I would think you run the risk so soon. I mean, we're talking 2015 on the, on the Daredevil uh, series to come first through Netflix of just spreading it um, the material thin. By no means do I mean. I mean, Disney's got limitless resources to to really put behind this um you know i'm just a little uh concerned with that they might try to overmine it at this point well i mean and if this is apples and oranges feel free to say so you know we saw avengers a year ago may right and then there was an entire year uh without marvel movies then we had iron man 3 this past may then thor you know, November, Captain America in April, and and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy the following August. Do it's you a, feel it's a two picture per year situation through 2015 right now? Okay. Um, that being what it is, you know, and and we may ultimately look back at this, Matt, and say, well, that was the golden era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but yeah. eight, eight movies deep to this point okay and it, it's really starting to crank and given that they just got into to tv in agents of shield that's my only concern is okay two movies a year a tv show already going on and now all these others is, is my larger concern 
I'll tell you quality, this from a, not quantity. Yeah. From a from a viewing point of view, here would be my hope, right? That you do something like, hey, a, oh, I'm sorry, when's Daredevil supposed to come out? 2014 2015, or 2015? Spring of 2015. So leading up to, I would assume, time-wise to uh, Avengers 2. Okay. But if you had like some sort of crossover moment between Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. concludes its broadcast year uh, in May because it's in the broadcast space. It has to do a certain number of episodes with a certain number of reruns in order to sell your advertising time. Great. Then have the full knowledge that, um, hey, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is done with. And the following week, all 13 episodes drop on Netflix. There's your summer viewing at least TV-wise, Marvel TV-wise, and maybe it's a completely different experience. Maybe it's R-rated, where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not. Maybe it's PG-13 with, you know, cable level of swears. Um, whatever it is, I feel like it could be... Certainly, I mean, they wouldn't they wouldn't be in direct competition like they're on at the same time because of the nature of it being on Netflix. But I think that it could be a really interesting experience where they're really not in competition, where these shows are maybe coming out... You know, in the holidays, maybe the shield is on hiatus or in the summer, something like that to kind of. Oh, I I don't believe for a moment that Disney will pit itself against itself um, (laughs) with that. No, no. And and what you said is entirely too plausible to not be on the table right now. I do really uh, have a hard time believing they'll go you know, past a PG-13 with these. Their, Their stuff has been so family friendly i mean when when i saw this with an audience the other day um you know we we were there with little girls who love loki um and to think that they would automatically limit you know and and these girls were watching avengers on netflix when when uh, i picked up my buddy and we went to the uh, the movies. So wow. to think that they would in some way limit, oh, all right, here's the part of Netflix with some Marvel guys that you can't watch. They're not stupid. They're not stupid. And granted, while those girls will be, you know, teens by the time this stuff gets rolling out, you know, they're, they're not going to exclude themselves. I, I think it might be more... Um, you know, risque in terms of the tone, you know, they're going to fully mm-hmm. explore hell's kitchen here and, and daredevil and Luke cage and, and all that. But I definitely don't think it's going to be hardcore or punisher territory. So I, I see. So maybe you have some, some basic cable, 9 PM, 10 PM language, some of that violence, some of that kissy face under the sheet, but not on top of the sheet, things like that, where, I think that probably makes sense. I mean, there's no there's no need to take it to, and I, I certainly don't mean this as a slam here, but kind of your standard, you know, HBO 9 p.m. of like, hey, there's a lot of nudity. Like, I would agree that that's not, I think, what Disney or Marvel wants to do with these properties. It's not porn, Matt. It's HBO. <laughs> ah, that's a lovely little uh, comedy clip that you are referring to. Um, well, Pete, what else is going on in level seven? I, I know that, uh, did you make reference about the frosty cat? I did. The, the, the frost monster we see at the end, uh, once Thor has returned to earth and reunited with, uh, Jane Foster. So this thing is still running amok chasing birds in, uh, Greenwich. 
Uh, gotta wonder if that will be the subject of our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thor The Dark World tie-in scheduled for Tuesday, November 19th. Well, Pete, here's the article. The article. Here's the argument against it. And uh, you can rebut if you want. Mm -hmm. The Frost Kitty must be tremendously expensive to do with computers. Um, I think to have it on screen for more than a couple seconds would probably be just tremendously expensive. How does uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. pay for that? How does ABC pay for that? You know, uh, it seems to me that kind of the the different money pots that these um, uh, sub- uh, substrata of the conglomerates work out of you know it's not one big pot it's not just disney's gonna say oh let's just have marvel studios you know marvel movie studios pay for it it's kind of everybody in their own their own you know bank account there that's my argument against it maybe it's some sort of more mundane cleanup or something i you know which inspires me less but there's the argument against we're not going to see the frost kitty well let's let's just call back some of the high-end cgi stuff we've seen through the first half a dozen episodes we've seen uh you know characters made of flame and, and shoot flame um you know we we've seen dump trucks uh flipped over um, you know, we, we've seen a, a fairly believable, um, you know, jump out of, uh, the airplane sequence that, you know, really yeah. didn't gall you as far as realism. I, I think they're on a much better level, uh, a quicker turnaround. I mean, the thing that hit me watching Thor in theaters is, you know, we're about two, little under two and a half years from the original. To get a movie this FX laden less than three years now yeah. after that, you know, that was a significant turnaround. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. And I mean, certainly, you know, I know, you know, the listeners know it's it's a year after year improvement that special effects in general go through. Uh, I mean, even you think back to uh 10 years ago this December when uh, when there was the Battlestar Galactica reboot, the quality of space spaceship effects that were on there on that show uh, on a very stringent TV budget with a, a hand, you know, two or three million viewers in this country uh, and what they were able to get away with compared to literally concurrent uh, concurrent in Star Trek then or a couple of years previous where it's completely models. So I'm certainly no Pollyanna in terms of um, could you do the Frosty Cat? Could you do some of these effects on a TV show? Yes. I'm just thinking what's the what are the limitations to time and budget and that sort of thing. But I guess we'll find out. I mean, I truly am. Yeah, I know we kind of had, you know, we I don't want to say we, we joke about spoiler, Pete, because it's it's deadly serious. But I truly know nothing about that episode that'll be in, uh, in, in not the next episode, but the one after that. Well, it's nothing called, about it. It's called The Well. You know that uh, our boy Jonathan Frakes uh, from Star Trek The Next Generation directed it. Indeed. Um, you know, t again, this is a guy that's working significantly in uh, TV directing right now. Has done Castle, has done a lot of other shows. And, um, you know, to be able to tap him on the shoulder and bring him in. And as you posited too, Matt, th this might ultimately wind up being an audition for one of these phase two or phase three movies. 
That yeah. I tell you, that would just be so awesome. To God knows they flip the director's chairs around enough with those. Yeah. So, so to think that, and and somebody who's clearly working with the Whedons on the TV end to you know move it to the film end. And granted, it's been a while since he's done a film, um, but I don't think these are so much auteur maneuvers. I mean, Joss Whedon aside. Um, then, you know, all right, this is the group effort. This is the Kevin Feige, you know, Marvel right. j- joint, um, you know, but I'm not worried about the effects thing so much. I mean, we got a date on the, uh, the new star Wars, uh, movie the other day, December 18th, 2015, you know, my, my initial concern was that they were trying to rush it with May and, you know, Disney and and Star Wars kind of went back and forth. And, you know, ultimately they gave them a little bit of a reprieve, like, all right, here's six more months. I think they're wise too. That way they won't be bumping up against Avengers and having two competing franchises owned now by the same conglomerate. That really was the only move to make. Um, you know, the, the only other thing we, I, I'm going to pause it. And again, I already know what it is, but I'll, I'll just throw out there for our listeners sake is that, uh, maybe it has some latent, you know, uh, connection to the, the convergence there, the well, the throwing of things, you know, from one universe to another, from one realm to another, maybe that's what it could be. I know I was on the record in the summer saying, let's not do a lot of this crossover stuff. Let's let these characters evolve on their own. Given that it essentially is a, 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 is a small insular family that the six characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, comprise, yes. I mean, I, I, can we know them more? Sure. We all want that Melinda May flashback. But I feel like we know them well enough to say, great, let's watch them grow on these fantastic adventures. And uh, I, I hope that episode really does tie into Thor as much as possible. And Pete, to return to your other point about uh, the directors, I think that the model that uh, Marvel is following is that of James Bond, where you actually don't need a director who knows how to do a ton of special effects or who knows how to, you know, all right, you go in the helicopter, helicopter shot here and somebody in the water here. So when the boat jumps, it's no, you have people who do that, who do that just for James Bond. We need somebody who can help craft a quality story. Somebody who can walk up to an actor and say, you know, this uh, this uh, tennis ball on a stick that's supposed to be the giant monster. Let's talk about when you were a kid and you went camping and find some way to, to dig out that emotion. And you look at Alan Taylor, the director of uh, Thor of the Dark World. Here's his, here's his uh, filmography. Three movies before Thor of the Dark World. 1995, Palookaville. 2001, The Emperor's New Clothes. 2003, Kill the Poor. Does not direct another film until Thor of the Dark World. In between that, what does he spend his time doing? Directing Deadwood. The pilot from Mad Men, bored to death, one, two, three, four, five Game of Thrones episodes. This is a guy who has spent his time. Are there special effects in some of those? Yeah, you betcha. But it's about get the characters going. You have this wonderful palette to work with, whether it's the Old West or the Game of Thrones land or, you know, 1960 New You're referring York. to Westeros, Matt? Westeros, <laughs> of, of course. I was just, uh, Game yeah. of Thrones land. <laughs> the where the where, throne landia 
Um, but it's somebody who's it's about almost let's look past the spectacle and find the character. You know, let's find the drama here, regardless of whether it's, you know, this immaculately recreated uh, town of Deadwood or whether it's computer generated dragons find the character. That's what he's done. Hopefully that's what Jonathan Frakes will be doing in the Marvel movie uh, in the near future. Pete. Definitely. Well, with that, Pete, I think we've just about hit Thor the Dark World from every uh, every imaginable uh, you know corner here. Um, before we get to get to the podcast contacts, Pete, you are you are like Thor actually in that when you are on Twitter, you <laughs> there are there are people like that young man in the library who say, "Are you kidding me? I can't turn away. It's it's Pete out there." So how could people say hello to you on Twitter, Pete? Well, 1,326 people can't be wrong. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. You can find me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. Uh, and as for the podcast, you can say hello to us uh, on Twitter, where we are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a P-H. You can share your feedback on past podcasts, your predictions on upcoming episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or I suppose even Marvel movies, now that we're only five and a half months away from uh, Captain America, uh, by emailing fantasticgeek at gmail.com. You can call the listener line, 732-707-1815, and leave a message with our special podcast Heimgard, uh, which will uh, jot that down and send us to that over the Bifrost internet. Uh, you can leave a comment on the webpage, shieldpodcast.blogspot.com. And uh, I think that covers all those bases, Pete. I think uh, with that, we can uh, look ahead to uh, the next episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, whatever madcap adventure that'll, uh, that'll take us on there. Definitely. So with that, Pete, I will say adios or whatever proper Asgardian goodbye. I will say mew mew to everyone. And mew, mew. Uh, Pete... It is time for your final word. I think you just decapitated your grandfather. <laughs>